ladies and gents, welcome to the Moss Outdoorsman with our man, Randall Moss, the small town boy from Gastonia who became a man, a husband, and a father. The six sport, that's right, six sport athlete who became a hunter, a fisherman, and an outdoorsman. You know, sometimes when the balls start bouncing, as he would say, you gotta find something to give you that brush. And boy, oh boy, did my man find something in hunting, fishing, and the outdoorsman life. Now he's giving you tips and tricks so that you could be on top of your game. So now, without further ado, y'all give it up for the host, Mr. Brown Redneck himself, Randy Moss. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Randy, a.k.a. the Brown Redneck. We're getting ready to shoot episode eight of the podcast. Y'all already know I got my fam in the back, Marcus Mooney, the poet. Yo, what's up? What's up, y'all? And today we have a uh, a special guest on today. We got Mr. Sean Lundy on. How we doing, guys? Sean in the building. <laughs> so, Sean, go I ahead know, and um, tell the people who you are for the people that don't know, which everybody pretty much already knows who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. No, I'm just uh, Sean Lundy. I just got a passion for the outdoors, you know, and it's um, I kind of got really got a name for myself. Started a little bit in the outdoor industry, probably years back. I I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago, when I was um, brought on with Drury Outdoors. And I uh, had the opportunity to hunt with some of the greatest hunters in the industry. And the things I learned from them were just unbelievable, you know. And then it's just from there, uh, here in the last couple of years, we kind of just slowed down with juries and really just started doing just what the Lundies do, our own Lundy life thing. We launched an apparel brand that, you know, not necessary for the clothing. I mean, that's what it is, but just to kind of, you know, represent that that rugged type lifestyle, you know, whether you're out there splitting wood, hunting, fishing, hiking, I don't care what it is. If you're in the outdoors in the gym and just kind of living the life that we live and it's, it's been a roller coaster for the last couple of years, but it's been a good one for sure. So man, brother, 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 you, you, you in it to win it, man. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying I'm to take notes off it. your hustle, man. For <laughs> real. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I told my, my wife and my kids and I said, listen, the day you fail is the day you just give up, you know? Wow. I mean, you look at it, like if you're going to try something, right. Okay. Like how do you measure your success? You know, like you want to measure success to make a million dollars, make $50, make $2. If, if you, if you're doing something and five years later, you're still doing it. I mean, to somebody else, you know, they may look at it like, man, man, these guys ain't, ain't killing it or nothing. But you, if. If you're still doing it, you're making it, right? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like I, you, I you still so. got something out there, but you, you give up and it's that's it. You're done. So man, we're gonna try. Facts. We're gonna swing for the fences. Man, you starting to show off, dropping jewels already. Already, yes sir, <laughs> yes sir. I was like, man, let me get my other notepad. I need to. <laughs> I need to. The small one ain't gonna work for this one. I need the big notepad for this one right here. That's what I'm talking about, brother. Yeah, I was excited to get here. I know we were talking a little earlier. Like, I, this has been, what? I mean, probably the last month or so we've been talking about getting together and doing this podcast and everything. And yes, sir. just been so busy. And so it's happening now. So I'm happy to be here, buddy. Man, we definitely appreciate you jumping on the show. So how long have you been hunting? Oh, my. Uh, okay, yeah, I live in Indiana, but believe it or not, like, I was born and raised in New York. So I lived my whole life out in New York on Long Island. And 
yeah, there's good hunting out there. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, a lot of people look at it like it's New York. You know, it's not the Midwest. It's not the mountains. It's not down south. It's it's New York. But I just, there's still a lot of people out there. You know, some of the best hunters I know come from the East Coast. But when I was at an early age, you know, my family, we hunted all the time. But it was, I guess all the time meant we hunted every year. So most of my family members and the friends that did hunt, every year meant opening weekend of gun season. You know, that was every year you hunted two, three days and that was it. You know, you were a hunter, you hunt, had hunting season. That was it. But to me, like, I just couldn't take it. I just, I got ate up with it. And you know, whether it was after, you know, sports practice, wrestling or something, if I got off, it was like, man, I got a couple hours. I'm going to take a canoe, drag it out to the Long Island Sound. I'm going to try to shoot some sea ducks, you know, or I'm going to get out in the woods and try to bow hunt. Like I was just always started taking it to the next level. And then when I was, 17 i'm like man that's i'm gonna either end up dead in jail like or college is not for me i I gotta do something you know so i ended up joining the marines so that so that's kind of like when i left new york you know thank you so when i left yes thank you for your service definitely it was a i went ahead and i pulled away and i'm like there's so much more out there than just one state you know and I met a bunch of like good old hillbillies and rednecks in the military. And I'm like, wow, man, you guys got some cool, cool stuff going on. You know, you can go down south and they're like, you know, sticking their hands in catfish's mouths and, and like hunting gators and hunting southern deer. And then you go up north and I'm like, man, this, I'm like, you know, I still go back home to visit New York. But I, I told my parents, I'm never coming back. Like if I ain't going south, I'm going Midwest. I'm going to not necessarily pursue the outdoors the outdoor industry but i was going to go ahead and just get a job somewhere else where i literally can just you know travel five to 15 minutes and go hunting so i met some buddies in the military and that's how i ended up getting over to indiana and then from there you know i landed a job here and then it gave me more time to hunt and more time to hunt and from there I, that's when i got into doing a little bit of filming and that's when the, the door opened up in the industry for me so Nice. Man, that's awesome. That is nice. awesome. So what, in your opinion, what's the best thing about um, being in the outdoor industry? I mean, not to sound like, but everybody says, but it, it's the memories. It, it truly is. It's, you know, it's, and it, no matter what you do, I mean, if you can, you go out there and if you look, no matter what you harvest, a picture of something, a mound of something, or even the, you're, you're out there and you're, you're you're eating the venison or the wild game. I can walk through my game room and every single head up there, no matter what. I mean, I can't tell you what I ate. I probably can't tell you what I ate for breakfast today, but I can walk by and look at every one of my taxidermist mounts or every one of my pictures. And I can tell you detailed how it started. And then once me and my wife, you know, we, we have a family now and the kids to bring them involved in it. It's just, you know, it's full circle. It's, the more you get involved in hunting, you know, we're competitive by nature. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. humans are. Yeah. True. So I think what kind of helped me too, is a lot of people there. When you look at these people that are on TV, I mean, they're killing 170, 180, 190 inch deer. Like, and it's just like, I couldn't relate to that coming from the East coast. Like I didn't understand that. So when I ended up filming and getting on TV and stuff, I was killing like solid hundred and, 15 to you know 135 inch deer and i'm like i'm gonna get laughed out of the industry and a lot of people i was hunting with like what are you doing like you gotta pass that up well next thing you know like 
fan wise, they, people started digging that. Like they could relate to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, if you don't have, and don't get me wrong, it's like I, every one of us wants that trophy of a lifetime. But when you got your, your lifestyle, your normal job, your family, your this, you can't spend every day out there doing that, you know? So exactly. Yeah. You got to start I, I somewhere. Kinda, yeah. I, I just brought back and, you know, people will, even young kids will send me pictures and stuff because I'd be like, Hey, check this out. I'm like, that's awesome. And they'd be like, Hey, well I posted it, but people said, so, but I just wanted you to know it. And I'm thinking nowadays on social media, like social media is good for networking and getting out there and, and talking, you know, just lifestyle with everybody. But it could be evil too. Like some, mm-hmm. there's some social media sometimes is pushing people out of the outdoor industry because we're knocking people because they, didn't kill a deer that was big enough or didn't and that's not what it's about i mean like when you're out there that's one of the biggest things about hunting when i go out there whether i'm filming my kids or filming friends that that's our moment right there you know what i'm saying you it's the one thing you got to remember if you're hunting you're doing it because you enjoy it if you're doing it because someone else wants you to, to meet a certain level of performance then then it becomes a job you know and then you don't love it you know so i just you know, I just told my son when we walked by, I said, we're going to keep it real. We're just going to go out there. Don't get me wrong. I've been blessed to, to, to kill some awesome deer. But realistically, some of the big, big people in the industry would probably be like, what are you kidding me? This idiot hasn't killed near what they consider awesome. You know, but to me, you know, I've killed some really good deer, you know, but it's just to go out there and just do it your way. It's I don't care as long as it's legal and ethical it's your hunt go out there and make a memory because heck we don't know man if tomorrow's our last day so just get out there and do it man so yeah that's real good man it's something you said that that really touched touched on a nerve if you will for me you said that how social media is pushing people out of the industry um and, and it's not just that industry it's, it's a lot of different things man and i think for me it it's that narrative right that it used to be just what you saw on television, like, or in the magazine, like that was the trophy. That was, you know, that was the, what everybody was shooting for. But, but because that was the only place you really saw it, then everybody kind of thought, well, everybody else must be like me unless they're on, you know, those big platforms. Well, now with social media, like you say, the level of competition, if you will, the expectation for everybody is the, the big shiny perfection of, you know, four or five, you know, six people in your feed that most of them, if we, we keep it a hundred, you know, most of them are probably fabricating a lot of it, (laughs) you know, making it look like something that is really not, you know? So when you got a guy like yourself that that comes and say, you know what, I'm going to be relatable because I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to be real about what's going on out here. And, and, you know, with the understanding that everybody's got to start somewhere and this is what it looks like for me. And Hey, you know, share with me what it looks like for you. And I, think that's more important than trying to put this facade forward and say hey look i'm great i'm i'm awesome you know <laughs> you know just be real yeah and that's some of some of the people that have been on social too it's it, i think they forgot i mean what you said is is it's a hundred percent right like people out there i mean you guys all remember like the people that are hunting that we looked up to it's like i'd love to do that i'd love to have that opportunity and then now that social media came around, it's it's good because it's got it where, you know, if you want to talk to somebody on TV or you want to talk to someone that's in the magazines, 
You couldn't do that if right. it wasn't social media. Right. Like, exactly. There's no way exactly. yeah, that's if the it, plus part. If it wasn't for Instagram, I never would have been able to get in contact with you. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely yeah, a plus. And, and, that, and that's what it is, man. You, you, and that's awesome. And, and now you're getting people, it's like, you know, you have to realize, like, people are looking up to you, you know, and mm -hmm. when, when people are looking up to you, and instead of, I, I just don't know, I'm not wired like that. I can't, I can't sit there, and if someone actually looks up to maybe something I'm doing or something hunting then turn around and say, Hey, listen, do me a favor. You got to start passing that deer up, man. You can't be shooting those two year olds. You can't be shooting those three. But thinking you, one, you're losing fans too. You are totally getting to the point where you if this continues to go on, people are going to be like, Hey man, why, why even hunt? You know, I, mm -hmm. I only got five acres or 10 acres to hunt. And man, I see two, three deer a season, you know, I'm afraid to shoot one of that. Next thing you know, three years into it, but you go out there and you just, you let take the gloves off and say, go out there and have fun. Next thing you know, three years in a row, they're harvesting deer, they're filling the coolers. And like I said, they're, we're competitive by nature. So you might say, okay, next year, I may not shoot a buck, but I know I can shoot a bunch of does. I'll shoot a bunch of does, or I'm going to wait for this. But if you try to force it down people's throat, right down the bat, like, don't get me wrong, if I'm on a farm and, and there's a 180 inch deer, some people will hunt all season for it. I'll, I'll give it my all. But I'm here to tell you, on day one, if a 140 walks by, I'm letting it fly. And I don't care if somebody's like, hey, man, you're, you're here for two weeks, you idiot. You know, you, you, we haven't even hunted. <laughs> They're like, we haven't even hunted with that 180 bat. I'm like, I'm sorry. But, like, the odds are is I'd probably hunt that deer a week later, that 180, and I'd miss them. Then I'm like kicking myself in the butt for not shooting the 140 a week ago. <laughs> I'm not doing this. Man, that's good. Man, I'm extremely happy that I reached out to you. And the fact that you took the time to talk to somebody, a little old me, that people in the outdoor industry don't know about. And the fact that you jumped on this podcast and you uh, are super down to earth means a lot. It does, man. You know, here's the biggest thing, guys. And like, you got and take this to heart. I'm not blowing like smoke up your asses or anything. Like, this is the, the God's honest truth. I. I am you guys. You guys are me. And you you look at the big people in the industry, there's a lot of great big names in the industry that if you talk to them, you realize they are you and you are them. But then sometimes you meet people that's like, it's like, hey, man, like, did you forget where you came from? Do you know what I'm saying? It's, mm -hmm. yeah. you, you know, I had an opportunity and, and I'm, I'm rolling with it and I'm going with it and it all can end tomorrow. But when all of a sudden you got the opportunity to broadcast some of your hunts on TV. And all of a sudden I look at it like this. Well, my friends went and seen it. They're my friends. They're not my fans. Well, now my friends got other friends. And now you, next thing you know, you got a couple hundred thousand friends, new friends watching you. It's like, I look at it like, Hey man, like when I go somewhere, like, you know, people like I, I consider everybody friends, you know, like, Hey, we're all out there hunting together. You know, if we met in deer camp and that's how I am to this day, I've, I've been hunting in deer camp with some people. And you get some of the big name people, and also they they just kind of shy away a little bit. But I've been to deer camp with some huge name people that literally will sit right there and hand out their cell phone numbers because they still get it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, wow. They enjoy the moment in camp with that person. That's who they are, and and they just had a great opportunity. And that's kind of like some of the people like I like to stay in touch with and hang around with because they're real everyday people, and they never forget where they came from. You know, so I love it. Love it, man. But absolutely. I mean, heck, I mean, who, who knows, man? Maybe a couple of years from now, I'm down there 
chasing whatever you guys are chasing down there and you guys be up here chasing deer or turkeys or something you know what i'm saying like it's <laughs> hey, let's, like, make, let, it, let's, let's make it let's make it happen you know? anytime you want to come that's down right, just let me know right. yeah man that'd be that's awesome right. <laughs> oh, so man. when does your guys season come in down there so bow season down here is going to start september the 9th mm-hmm. so are you guys because right now but I, I may be off on this but i do believe there's already some people harvesting deer already. I think it's in Florida. There's a few places in Florida I think that came in already because I've noticed some velvet um, bucks have been, been shot. You know, a lot of the states come in that September 1st. Now, I've hunted a couple early seasons September, and when you start getting to about the September to September 15th, they start. some of them are starting to peel their velvet. Do you guys still have velvet on that time of year when you're hunting them? Sometimes, Yes. It just depends. But for the most part, like you yeah. mentioned, they're usually out of velvet. I know um, in the lower country of South Carolina, the season is getting ready to start August the 15th. Yep. And they'll be down there shooting them with rifles. I think South Carolina is the only state that I know of where you can harvest a, uh, a velvet buck with a rifle. Yeah. yeah it's, there's so many different states out there, and I just... I, I get out there. I've met some good friends down in Alabama and everything, you know, and even in some of the states, like certain places, you know, and Alabama's killing big deer too. I got buddies in Louisiana. You never think Louisiana be killing big deer, but they're killing some giants there. But, you know, I, I just, I just like getting in them deer camps where you get in there and it's like, nobody cares what the heck you shoot. You know what I'm saying? At night, it's cold drinks, good steak, great hunting stories. You know Sitting what I'm saying? And it's just like, that's right. You got a game pole full of venison and people are just making it happen. I mean, that's, if you, you go back to like those old, old pictures. You ever see them like in like 1930s and stuff, 1940s and like these game poles. It's like, you know, that, that's what it's about. And these people, you know, we need to realize that. Like you just gotta get out there, do your own thing. And heck I today, I mean, for instance, I had a, my, uh, um, tractor ended up going down. So I'm like, how, how am I going to finish up this food plot, you know? And, and I filmed it. I'm like, I don't care because this is realistically, this is real life. This is what we do. Well, I got this awesome implement called the Packer Max. It's just like, I'd never plan a food plot without it. Well, now I'm panicking because I got to go back. I'm like, well, I want to get this one plot finished. The seed's already down and I don't got nothing to roll with. So I can get back, but I got to go to another farm, a friend of mine and do his. So we went over by the, one of the shops over there, found ourselves, um, or he, he went to one of his buddy's shops, found like an old pallet. And next thing you know, we got his son out there dragging a pallet around on a four-wheeler, like a wooden pallet. You know, just trying to, but you know how many food pots I've done that way? Some people will look at it and be like, dude, you're seriously not going to film that, are you? Like, you look like a complete redneck. I'm like, hey, yeah, redneck. this is how you make it happen. That's right, like, make it happen. Exactly, what are you talking about, man? Redneck ingenuity. I don't. I don't know how to do food plots with hundred thousand dollar tractors. I, I, I'd break the dang thing in the first week. Like I don't even want something like that, you know. So, <laughs> oh man, that's good. <laughs> oh man. So, what would be while we got you on the show? What would be some tips you would give to the average Joe Hunter? Tips and what? Anything particular? far as to make the most out of their hunting season um you know i there's so many good things to get out there and just like 
just so many things I could say to, to make everybody listening's year better. You know, one would be consistency. But then again, I guess realistically, some people, you know what I'm saying? Like, like myself, I mean, normally I work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you know? So saving up vacation, you got to depend on that and stuff. But not only that, but just getting out there, getting out there, you know, hunting the wind is a huge thing. I noticed so many, you know, I've, there, there are definitely different products out there that work to help cut down the wind. You know, a lot of your like scent lock type stuff, it's going to cut the wind, but it's still a deer's nose, you know? And if you can hunt the wind, th- there's been times where, and I do not blame the people as times that I do it. Like the wind's not right. The weather's not right. They go out anyway, you know? And there's times if, if you truly are limited, you got to go out there, you got to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But if you can get a few days off and you could truly play that weather and, and play the win, your odds I've noticed probably in the last 10 years here, when I started playing the, the win, for instance, when I was eight up a ton, say it was like, listen, I was going to hunt every evening when I got off work. So I might be hunting 90 days a year, which I know seems like a lot, but 90 at least sits in the woods. But all of a sudden I'm like, I started playing the win. Well, now you, you cut that down to, maybe hunting 50 something days because the wind wasn't right all those days. You know, mm-hmm. I can honestly say in those 50 something days, I see more deer twice as more deer than I did the years where I hunted every single day. Wow. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just because you may do something when you're out there in the woods and, and especially, you know, especially when you're hunting ground, that's, you know, if you don't have a hundred, 200, 300 acres of managed land. So, you might be hunting a 10 acre piece or, or a 30 or 40 acre piece, but you got a neighbor and you know, they may not be hunting exactly like how they should be. You know, you go in there and you mess up something on a good day or, or on a bad day. Now your good day comes. It may take them deer two, three days to get back to, you know, feeling comfortable. So, you know, if I've got a stand that I've been waiting to hunt and I need a North, North, any North, Northeast, Northwest, whatever, I know it's just going to be good. Trail cams are showing up. Everything's great on it. Well, if you go ahead and you're like, man, I got Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Man, Saturday's going to be going to be freaking north wind. You know, Sunday's going to be a north wind, but I can't take it. I haven't hunted in a week. Friday's going to be south wind. Don't, don't hunt it. Go out, take the girlfriend out, take the wife out, do whatever. Like, don't hunt it. If you ha- I mean, if that's the only day you got, get out there and hunt it because you never know what happens. I mean, because in the outdoors, sometimes human error can bring you a favor. You know what I'm saying? A neighbor pushing a deer over to you or Mm -hmm. dogs that were out or something. You know, so the old saying, you can't kill them on the couch is so true, you know, (laughs) definitely out there. But, but, But if you got, if you had three days like that and you could play the win, it's better not to hunt and mess up a spot that you think's good because you may go in there and all of a sudden you, the whole entire night you're getting blown at. And you're like, man, I shouldn't have came out here. Well, then the following day, you're like, man, it's south wind or it's a north wind. I get back out there. You may not see nothing that day because the evening before that time when they were coming out, they're like, man, something's not right. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There was someone over there. So you just literally ruined probably what could have been a great weekend. So hunting wind is so important, Um, you know, and and being consistent at doing it. You know, if you got these spots. And the other thing is don't shy away from – small parcels some of those small parcels there's i was just telling a friend of mine this it's he got a piece of property that he you know wanted me to help him work on 
it's literally, you know, probably an 80 acre field of nothing but most of his crops. Out of that 80 acres is probably 60 acres of crops. Well, there might be three or four trees on the entire 80 acres, and the rest of it's grown up weeds and horse weeds, right? Mm-hmm. So he would like, you know, someone's like, yeah, you can hunt it. Well, all the neighbors hunt around, and he's like, no one wants to hunt that property because it's open. Don't ever look at open ground. You know, if it's just got tall grasses and stuff, we went in there the last few weeks, and you could see some of the pictures I've been posting. A lot of them deer are coming from, there is not three trees on that piece of property. You know, it is literally just grown up grasses that we went in there when time was right. We put these plots in. I mean, you can get away with a little more now because, you know, it's not really quite close to the season yet. And we'll set up blinds and stands where they need to be, actually where he can hunt a south or north wind. But, you know, here's a property that's a little diamond in the rough that, I mean, some people consider that a small parcel. I mean, I think an 80-acre parcel is pretty big. But being 80 acres and only having just a few trees on it, but it had all this cover. You know what I'm saying? Like wet, swampy ground and a whole bunch of cattails that tractors can't get in and really plant, you know? So most people overlook it because they don't see the perfect fields and the perfect timber and the perfect mixture. So, like, well, I'm not going to lease that ground. But you don't realize all the pressure that's around it. And it could be the same thing on a little 20-acre piece that you're seeing that a whole bunch of neighbors are hunting. Set up on both sides where you can hunt a north or east, figure out where they're coming across, and and pick up those pieces of land. I mean, you you look at some of the guys out there that that kill these big deer, and you actually start listening to – you know, some of their articles, a lot of these guys killed them on little places where these big mature deer, or what I consider big and mature, have been hiding out. They're smart. You know, they make it past that. You know, in a year and a half old buck, don't know better, but that two-year-old, he's starting to get smart. But you get to that three, four-year-old range, you know, the older they get, their core area actually starts to shrink, you know, because they're becoming smarter. They, they, they know they don't have to, they know the game. They've been through three or four ruts already, you know? Mm-hmm. So don't overlook at all small parcels. I get people that they're like, man, you got so many places to hunt. And then I'll take them hunting with me. And they're like, man, what's this? It's like, man, it's a 32 acre piece. It's like, man, well, where, where, where'd you kill those deer a couple of years ago on TV? I'm like, well, I killed two here, you know? And then all of a sudden, like a week later, they'll come hunting again. I'm like, what's this? I'm like, I'm like, well, it's just farmer's field, but I got permission to hunt that seven acre woods in the back. And they're like, seven acres? You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, but it's the right seven acres. You know what I'm saying? Man, like, any, I, I, anytime you want to take me on a seven acre, <laughs> track of land, let me know. <laughs> you know, people look at it, but, but how many people look at it like, man, it's, man, I, oh, man, I can lease some from this farmer, but he, he owns like, he has 10 acres I can hunt here, and he has another six or seven acres over here. It's just a patch of woods in the middle of nowhere. Well, get in there, throw some cameras out, stick some minerals out, you know, if I start to get some pictures and then realize, hey, wait a minute, I could do this, but now h- how to do it, you know? And that's another one of the big rewarding things about hunts. You know, it's when you get out there and you start trying to do things, you know, take it to the next level, maybe work some food plots and and stuff like that. It's when you do harvest it, you know, and it, and it all comes together, the size of the deer doesn't make a difference at that point. You know, if you just go out sometimes and you're sitting in the woods and I've been there growing up on the East coast and you, and you get a deer, you're happy. But there's times I'm out here and it's, I'll be talking to my sons and kids and friends. And it's like, Hey, we're going to go out tonight. And I'll tell my son, Hey, man, we have that one corner, a bunch of does are coming out. And also he'll show me, hey, dad, they came out west tonight. And you go out there to harvest the dough and you get it. You're, you're pulling back up at home like you're the like you're the main dude on the block. You know, you're like <laughs> calling everybody. Hey, man, I did it, man. I finally just smack down on it. It's like they come out. It's like, you know, and, and even my daughters and my wife, they'll come out the car. They're like, 
it's a dough. You know, me and my son are looking at each other like they just don't get it. You know, like yeah, yeah it's a dough, but we we made it happen. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, but that's what it's about. So, wow. I know I was looking on your page. Um, you've been putting out mock scrapes. What advice would you oh, yeah. on the mock scrapes? I, I just, I think I posted one of my stories yesterday or the day before. Don't deer will use, those will use scrapes too, but deers will hit scrapes year round. Yes. They, they definitely amp up that end of October. You know what I'm saying? Through November. But I started putting them out now and, I use buck fever scents and they've got what I like about that is one, their, their synthetic scents are unbelievable. And one, everyone's like, yeah, some of the, you know, to go ahead and it's, it's not a real deer urine, this or that, but they've got it down to a science where one, you don't have to worry about the weather. You don't have to worry about it going stale. You, you can keep, and it works. I mean, this, these, this stuff is made in laboratories. It's not like, so I will go out there and I'll start my scrapes. I've started them month, month and a half ago and I've already got deer hitting them and coming into them. They're in velvet and they don't get aggressive on them, but they'll come in and they'll, they'll start working the the scrapes, especially the forehead gland they got. And then they've got, and then right here in about another couple weeks, I'll add to a, it's actually a, I'll start dripping a little bit in all of it. It's just like a, a scrape maker and it's just medic urine. That's, you know, go and buck, but, it's just kind of a meeting area where they, they all hang out, you know, like a parking lot back in high school or local bar or something. It's, you know, the action's not happening yet, but you're still going there just to hang out. And this time of year, the re- reason why, besides using minerals and stuff to try to get them pictures to get an inventory, but you start putting out them mock scrapes now, you start creating a home range. And you start seeing not only are you going to be seeing deer on your ground, but you're going to be seeing your neighbor's deer. Now, granted, some of them may seem to vanish, you know, come October and then don't show back up till November again. But I, I'd say probably mid June, I literally start making mock scrapes. And then when the season starts, like in any food plot I have or, or anything like that, I will go out, make a, put a mock tree, unless it's a food plot that I was able to clear stuff out and I'll actually leave small little trees or saplings out in the middle and one, I use them for like a lot of these rubbing things. I'll use them for yardage markers. Like I'll put the tree out at 17 yards and I'll put another one like at 23 or, or 30. I don't know. Okay. Hey, one, you know, these deer come in here. That's it. You know, they're in the kill zone. Like you, you don't have, you can get away with maybe not having to pick up your range finder because you already know, Hey, that deer makes it to here. I know he's at 30 yards. Makes a lot of sense. And you, again, if you put a lot of, if you put any place you're hunting, like a little food plot or something, and you'll watch this. It's amazing. You go ahead and stick any type of, you know, stick or wood tree type object in the middle of a food plot. And Lindsay's just did a great um, thing on it. They put a cedar post. Deer love cedar, by the way. Love it. They just took a cedar post and stuck it in the middle of the, of the food plot. And then they just drilled a hole going across the top. And they actually just stick branches in the hole. So the branches are hanging parallel with the ground. Now I'm telling you, any two-and-a-half-year-old deer and older, when they enter that plot, at some time, unless they catch your wind, at some time that evening, that afternoon hunt, they will come and go to that. It, it's almost 100%. They, they, they'll they eat. They'll do it. They will come. They will hit that. And that's when the the mock scrapes and the, and the mock trees really start to kick it into high gear is that time of year. 
because once you start getting them created, you might use different scent. Like I'll, at that point I may use some different like buck fever extra scents and stuff to get them to where they come out to the pot. Well, they'll come out they, they may not see a doe. The first thing they're going to do, they're going to walk right to that scrape. They're going to go ahead and rip the ground back up again, put their scent on it, urinate in the scrape, boom, put their head down. Then they're going to start eating again. You know, almost like, Hey, listen, I'm here because, and if you see that a lot of times, if you have a camera on that scrape, if you see it, it doesn't make a difference what age buck. If you see him come into that scrape that night while you're hunting and he works that scrape, you watch that evening. The next morning when you wake up, if you check that, you know, whether it's a cell cam or you're pulling SD cards, when you check your cards, nine out of 10 times, that same buck that came in there, he will be back that night to check that scrape again. You know, that's why scrapes are, are I love hunting scrape lines. And back in the day when I was hunting a lot in New York, there was a lot of timber. We didn't have open fields and agriculture and stuff. And when we were hunting in the Catskills and Adirondacks, so we looked for, for scrapes in the woods, you know, try to find rubs, try to find scrapes. So, and they were pretty, you know, productive because naturally it's deer sign. Deer are there, they're, they're doing their natural thing. When you could take that and move it to a food plot or an agriculture area and actually start creating your own scrapes, you're hunting food, you're hunting a scrape line at the same time. I mean, you're getting the best of both worlds right there in front of you. Wow. So I got a question for you, man. Um, you know, I, I ask this question a lot because I'm, you know, I'm 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 the novice, so I'm still learning a lot of this stuff, man. And you guys are fascinating to me, let me tell you. But I I gotta ask, what was so far that you can remember like your most memorable or rewarding experience um as far as hunting goes? And then what was one of those situations that uh didn't go so well? <laughs> and uh and why is each one what what made each one uh, you know, a memory for you? You know, some of the some of the greatest memories are watching my, my son's my right hand man when it comes to hunting. But most of my best memories out there are my children's first harvest. Like when my oldest daughter went ahead and harvested her first deer. You know, my dad, he's not in the best shape right now. He doesn't really hunt with us much anymore but he was there when he actually, she harvested her first deer, you know? Wow. And to see like, even my youngest daughter just get out in the woods. She's really, she's more into like fishing and maybe some turkey hunting and stuff. But my youngest daughter's really not into the deer hunting as much, but there's times, you know, she'll get out there with me. And those are evenings where we may not harvest the deer. And I can still remember, you know, and it's, you know, it wasn't just one or two times every time, every year when she goes ahead and she's like, Hey, I'm like, Hey, I'm going out tonight. Do you want to, even if it's something like you want to run the camera or do something, you know, just to get my girls out there with me, like I would give up any giant that I would ever harvest on camera for those moments. Wow. You know, and some of those other good moments though, like probably the best deer hunt, deer kill moment of my life is on a small piece of ground right here in Indiana. It's that, I was telling you, I hunt that 32 acre piece or whatever. That's nothing, just a few trees in an open field. I was coming in one day and I, I was getting trying to get it set up for youth season for my son. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to the old mouse house. We call it the mouse house. And it's just this old box blind that I built that is infested with mice. I mean, they'll crawl down wow. your gun barrel. It's just infested, oh, you know? Oh, man. So now, yeah, so now you know why, like, the, my tortoise, they can't take it. My son, he just, like, cracks up. It's like, hey, let's get the mice out of it first. But when I was pulling in, I seen three absolute, like, great deer. And not just great deer for 
for the Lundies, but for anybody across the Midwest, I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and they were out in the bean field in early season like this. They're not pressured. They're not, you know, they're pretty predictable. I went back and we were filming with Drew's and I told a buddy of mine, I'm like, hey, like I knew I probably couldn't even hold it together tonight filming it. And my son Cole, I told my buddy, I'm like, hey, you want to run the camera tomorrow evening? I think I know where I'm taking Cole. I'm like, the wind's going to be the same. I just drove into this bean field to basically go in there and clean it out and make sure there was no wasps and stuff for the hunt. And I'm like, dude, there were three deer. Like the pressure, they're going to do the same thing tomorrow night. There's no doubt. And sure enough, we got out there and we didn't tell him. We just told him, hey, we've seen a couple bucks coming in the field. You know, he was a young kid back, back then. You know, this might have been five, six years ago. And sure enough, like, we weren't in the stand 30 minutes. And here come the deer through the tall grass. Little by little, we just literally told my son, we're like, hey, aim at that corner. He had a muzzleloader at the time. We're like, aim at that corner. It was like the third week in September, third weekend for the youth season. He's aiming that corner, and this giant comes out. He absolutely smokes him. He runs not 40 yards, <laughs> drops dead by a pond. And he looks back at me and on camera, he's like, that is a giant. And I'm like, you know, and we get there and like, I'm literally in tears, you know? And I look down at this deer and I'm like, oh my gosh, like not only did he just kill a giant, but he's this deer is bigger than any deer I've ever killed in my life. <laughs> that's awesome. That was like 153 awesome. inches. And I'm like, wow. uh, and then from awesome. there, it's just took off. Like I find myself now, we end the season every year in Texas at a good friend of ours, Austin's place. And like, I always, you know, buy him a tag and buy me a tag. And then down there, you know, when you hunt, I was like, well, it, it's different, like different ranches that are management. You can buy so many tags because, you know, the, the conservation or whatever in that certain area or something, they, you know, need so many does harvested and so many, you know, it's different when you hunt someone like maybe some of the high fence ranches, but like when you're hunting a lot of these ranches that are fair chase and stuff, they're still managed by the state of Texas, you know? So there's a quota and I go down there and I don't even har Like I let him go ahead and harvest both of them. Like I get such a kick out of watching my kids. And I think it's because watching them have fun and enjoy something with me in the outdoors, you know? But you know, then again, you talk about this one of the saddest moments, go back to two years ago, my son's bow hunting. He, I, I try to keep him honest, you know, like this, the opportunity he's having now is not like opportunities that I had, you know, he definitely is pretty blessed, you know, like he gets yeah, yeah, on yeah. all over the place with me and he comes out and he literally two days before he finally pulling back his bow and he shoots, misses a doe like 10 minutes later. I'm like, Oh, this never happens. Another doe comes out and he misses a doe again. So he's bummed. And I'm like, it happens to all of us. Like, and I don't think, but when you watch TV, you see this, these guys go out there and they hunt, you know, eight episodes and you see the guy kill a big buck every episode. And you're like, this guy never misses. He never, it's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? That's not what's happening. Like, first of all, when he did shoot that buck, what you're not hearing is, man, that guy probably spent, you know, maybe 30 days in the stand, you know, trying to shoot him, you know, and he might've missed and had opportunities. But so my son, like, I guess some of the little starlight of him being on TV like he, he really felt like he let me down. And I started when he missed, I started laughing because we've been there and I was so excited that he got drawn back on a deer and he was able to let the arrow go. I was like, I was so pumped. And I'm like, Oh, he missed no big deal, but he was so bummed. So we go back and, and we, we start practicing two days later, we go out and this doe walks out and he shoots her a little back. Now 
when when he shot her, I knew the way she was angled. And I told him, I said, hold, hold the arrow back. It's going to come out the opposite shoulder. And he did, but he was a little further back. But she took off. And just looking at his eyes, like I, I swung around with the camera. And he takes the camera. And he just He's trying to cover his face because he thought he completely screwed up again. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's probably the biggest heartache that I have is like, my son is so passionate about the outdoors that I've been around people and I've been around, you know, other hunters and stuff. They go out there and if they wound an animal, they don't care. They just look at it like, Oh my God, whatever, you know, well, we'll get another one. We'll get another one. He's so passionate about it. Not one that he wounded an animal Two, that it's like, he let me down and let his family, you know what I'm saying? Like he just, he's proud to be a hunter. You know what I'm saying? He's so proud of it and he wants to tell them all some stories, but he's still young. So to watch him learn, I mean, it's really, yeah, it might've been a, one of the kind of things I was bummed to be there when it happened, but it really was a good moment too, because we've all been there. I mean, I've done before and I messed up on a deer of a lifetime in my mind and I'm literally sitting in the tree. Like I didn't, I didn't even want to go back. You know, I'm like, this is this, you know, I've hunted so long for this deer. I'm just going to give up hunting. This is what, you know, so the ups and downs about it. And if you go out there and you don't get that adrenaline rush, some people are like, well, if you don't get that adrenaline rush and just quit hunting, it's not for you. No, don't quit hunting. But it may not be for you as far as your number one thing. Like, for instance, I can't golf. I suck at golfing. <laughs> golf is never, hard, man. I will never, I will never join hard. a league. <laughs> I will never join a league. I won't spend the hundreds and thousands of dollars on golf clubs. But two, three times a year, I go to a golf outing, you know, because it's a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. I go out there, I have fun, but it's just not my thing. Now, I didn't give up golfing, but, you know, a lot of people are like, well, just give up hunting. No, don't give it up. You know, like, get out there, you're enjoying it, you have the right to do it, do it. But when you look at the majority of those hunters and look at it like, you, you'll know right off the bat. And to see my son, like the emotions he had, I'm like, yeah, this kid's hooked forever. You know what I'm saying? This is his thing, you know? So I got I got to ask, like when he killed that big buck, were you able to stand him? Like, did he come home and ask for the big plate and everything? Like, you know, like, <laughs> Oh yeah. He was the man. That. He was the man. And it was like, and I'm telling you, like to this day, like he, the crazy thing is like, I don't know. We must've got lucky. We, we, we I don't know how he did because I can be a bonehead sometimes, but we, we, we raised five pretty good kids, you know, and it's, you know, to sit there and it's, it's still, there's times and like, I'll kill a deer and it's no way it's as big as the one that he killed. And it could be three years later. It's like, dad, I think that's like the one I killed in Indiana. No, buddy, I think he got me. Like, no, man, really, dad, I think it's good, you know, but he's like, he's trying to make me happy. And I'm like, dude, like, you don't understand. Trust me, when I shoot one that's going to be bigger than you, you're going to know it. I'm going to put pictures <laughs> on your wall. You're going to wake up in the morning. It's going to be on your bed. Like, you're going to know it. You know, don't don't try to make dad feel good. But but when he did kill that deer, oh, man, he walked around like, yeah. Oh, he was just cocky as anything. I'm like, I got to deal, deal with this crap. Just think about it. It's just me and him, you know. He's got four sisters and my wife, so it's me and him and five girls. It's oh, like, man. you know, it's like. He's the only one that I can relate to sometimes. 
yeah, that's what I that's about what I expected. You know, when my sons do anything, anything remotely close to being better than oh, they let me know about oh. it. Oh, they let me know about it. And my youngest son, you know, we, we play basketball a lot now, and you know, he's pretty good. So sometimes you know, just to help him out, I I'll I'll let him, you know, I'll let him get off a little bit. Yeah. You know, you know. Oh man, he can come in the house, chest stuck out. I'm like, dude. <laughs> Calm down, relax. <laughs> yeah, you want to be like, you want to go back out there and play again? <laughs> oh man! Oh man! It was like my, my daughter was the same way. Like I and I actually started getting irritated. So like, and that's the thing. Like having like my daughters, there's times where like I'm just like, you know what? I, I just need daughter time. Like I don't really need like my son. He was with his grandpa this weekend. They went and watched some drag racing and stuff. So today he's like, man, I'm, I'm like, man, you go ahead and sleep in. Like I'm hanging out with your sisters. You know what I'm saying? And I actually took them to go get the tractor fixed and everything else. You know, I'm like, buddy, like I hang out like all the time, but like he needs time to stay home. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I, cause I think each child, you know, they do need their one-on-one time, you know, and every one of my kids has a different personality, but you know, when I was playing badminton with my daughter, she's like, I'm like, all right, you know, she. It's just me and her out there, her sisters, you know, her sisters are older. So two of them drive already. The other one, you know, is kind of the whole high school clique, all these friends, you know, and yeah. my youngest daughter, you know, she's, <laughs> she's the baby. So it's like, all right, let's go play bad bit. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to swing for the fences and miss on purpose. I miss and She's like, yeah, it's five, six. I'm up five, seven. And so I miss three. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to come back a little bit. And then she, and then, then she started, then I tried to actually really whoop her butt but I gave her so much of a lead, I lost. And I was trying. And, I, and then it was like for two hours after that, and I so bad wanted to say, you want to get out there and really do this? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, my God. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, man. Well, Randall, you got anything to wrap us up here, man? Anything, any thoughts? What you got? What would be your number one tip for people hunting the rut? For hunting the rut? Yes, sir. Cool. All right. That's one of those things you can get away. If you're hunting timber and you're hunting the rut, you can get away with the wind a little bit because their patterns kind of change a little bit. But if you were hunting the rut in the mornings, I would try to get literally as close to cover as possible. Get in the timber and get close to a thicket area because them deer are coming back from feeding and eat. And I mean, the rut's really putting a lot of time in the stand because in the mornings you want to, like I say, get, get in the timber, get close to the cover. The does are going to be going back to, um, that the does have been being pestered for the last couple of weeks by the bucks. So the bucks are going to be traveling those thickets. They're going to be looking for those does, trying to get them out of there. And then in the evenings I would hunt, try to hunt still close to cover, but like small style food plots because these does sometimes don't want to get out in the open where one for just security, but two, because they've been pestered by the bucks. So they will come in in the evening, still got to eat and drink. They'll come into these plots. So I like hunting close to cover with small food, food plots in the evening and in the mornings in the timber close to cover and sit. Sometimes your ruts can be all day hunts too. Like, during November and stuff, I'll get in right before, you know, sunrise and stuff. A lot of guys get outstairs nine or 10. Sometimes I'll, I mean, I'll sit all day there and I've done that before, but in the evenings I want to get back down to somewhere where there's food 
but I will hunt till one, two o'clock, maybe go back out to the truck and then switch over, grab a sandwich real quick, a bottle of water, and then hunt from like two all the way to dark somewhere over food. So morning timber, evening's food. And get it, try to, I mean, literally, you might take an hour midday, but that's about it. Dropping knowledge. Knowledge, yes, sir. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I I definitely appreciate you jumping on this podcast with us. Um, I would say what I'm going to tell the people as far as the pro tip of the day, consistency. That's good. There you go. There you go. I'm with it. That's good, man. And uh, he said it earlier. I mean, you, you can't get anything done besides watching television and getting fat on From the, the couch. couch. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You know? No, I, I still honest. get fat in the tree. My, 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 son's, my son's social media account, his name for his social media account is Little Debbie Hunts. Because we, we get fat when we're in the tree, man. Like, he got that on a, he got that from a friend of mine, Brad Stricker, years ago. We were, I believe we were in Kansas hunting, and my son just kept pounding oatmeal cream pies from Little Debbie. <laughs> and everybody can he's like, dang, Little Debbie. Like, and now, like, we'll go hunting. Like, you open up our backpack, it is filled with Little Debbie snacks. Hey, man. Those <laughs> like, hey, oatmeal cream pies got something in them, man. <laughs> man, we tear them up. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. <laughs> Oh, man, it's been a pleasure, man. Definitely, definitely, man. Your, your family absolutely, sounds wonderful, absolutely. man. You sound like a, a great, great guy, man. It's, this has been awesome for me, man. I really enjoyed it. We're, we're, we're going to get a get up. We're, we're, we're going to have to share deer camp one year. I'm telling you that, guys. Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Well, to everybody absolutely. listening, love, peace, chicken grease. <laughs> I'm out. Peace. Moss Outdoorsman was brought to you by Bobby Long and Alpha and Omega Bell Bobby, Randy Beach and AJ Voorhees, Crossroads Brand and MWD Outdoors, Todd Hare from the Hare Ranch and TNT Custom Calls, Mike Sumner from the Sumner Group, Alex Bryce, AB Lighting and Electrical, and Mark Kaufman from Kaufman Painting. Tonight's episode was also brought to you by Deer Shack Processing, 216 Helms Drive, Mount Holly, North Carolina, 28120. You can call them up at 704-718-9135. And y'all know the motto, you drop them, we chop them. So check your boys out at Deer Shack Processing. Scripture for today comes from Proverbs 22 and 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Y'all know how we do, man. Till next time. Peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Tune in next time for more pro tips and tricks on how to be the best outdoorsman that you can be.